Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, you are listening to Freight 360. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right. Welcome back for episode 106 of Freight 360. Ben is our first video episode today. So if you're watching this on YouTube, welcome to us in person. But if we're on your your mobile device or on your iTunes or whatever, welcome back for another awesome week of talking freight with Ben and I. And today's episode is going to be all about what to do when things go wrong. Because if there's anything that's predictable and um, repetitive in freight brokerage, it's going to be the the fact that things do go wrong in this industry, and it's not necessarily what goes wrong, it's what do you do that'll really speak to how well you perform your job as a broker. So Ben, you've been in brokerage for, um, I think a little bit longer than me, but either way, things never go wrong, do they? No, never. It's funny. It's like, I, I remember the the first time I was introduced to the industry, and that's the way it was framed for me. It said, The one thing that is certain in this industry is that things are going to go wrong. They're going to go wrong often. It's what you do about them that is what defines you as a freight broker. Absolutely. We're going to get into that in today's episode. But first, like I said before, welcome back to Freight 360. Make sure to hit that subscribe button. Also, check us out on YouTube at our Freight 360 YouTube page and subscribe there. You'll get the latest videos that we release, usually at least one a week. And you can go to our website, freight360.net and check out our latest blogs. Um, you could add yourself to our subscriber list and we send out a newsletter usually once a week. So check it out. We got to do a little sports recap. I got to own what I said last week on the episode. The Bills did not upset the Steelers with a terrible ass whooping like I had thought. Um, Josh Allen did not throw for three touchdowns and the Bills also run for two. Uh, it was a sad day for Buffalo Bills fans. I actually, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see I've got my Bills uh, shirt on here today. It's a, it's actually, it's a rainy, cloudy, 65-ish degree day here in Orchard Park, New York. Uh, but I've got high hopes for week two. The Bills were going to be on Sunday down in Miami, Florida, facing off against the AFC East competitors, the Miami Dolphins, who are 1-0 right now. So, Yeah, they looked um, pretty good last week. Yeah. So let's re- revisiting the Steelers bills game. Uh, and obviously you're a Steelers fan. I'm a bills fan. Um, there's two really good defensive teams, obviously. And, you know, Pittsburgh's defense had a better performance and Buffalo um, had a blocked punt that was returned by you guys for a touchdown and Buffalo had way too many holding penalties and other penalties by our line. So coach Sean McDermott was not pleased to see the performance of his players like that, but it's week one of a 17-week season, so it doesn't really matter that much. Who knows? The Bills are still power ranked number five. And I don't even know if the Steelers are in the top ten. So, uh, doubtful. Yes. Yeah. Who do you guys have this weekend? Honestly, I don't I don't know. I haven't had a chance to take a look at it. I was honestly watching some of the recap from last game, um, but did not dig into what's coming up next week. I just saw it earlier, too. Um, Sunday playing Vegas. Las Vegas Raiders, and you guys are hosting at home. So they're 1-0. Both teams are 1-0. So interesting. Um, Kansas City, though, that was interesting, seeing Cleveland uh, lead over them in the first half. and then They looked really good up until it didn't. But <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's like Buffalo, man, 20 unanswered, 20 unanswered points in the second half by Pittsburgh. So kind of sad, but uh, it is what it is. So I am going to also predict to you that the Bills will beat Miami. I don't think that the Dolphins can, can go 2-0 after facing um, the Bills. I'm pretty sure they beat like the Jets last week, so it doesn't really say much. It's kind of a, a gimme win for them. So, But I'm glad that the Bills have a fire under their butt now. The Titans also got a, got a – Got an ass whooping last weekend. So, and honestly, I think that's good in some ways. Like, yeah, it's the record, but I mean, this early in the season, I would rather have them feel some pain and a quick reminder that what you did last season doesn't matter this season. In the same way, what you sold last quarter doesn't have any bearing on how you're doing this quarter, right? Yeah. Sales and sports. What have you done for me lately? I'm, I'm with you. Um, on the MLB side, obviously, you know, I'm a Red Sox fan. The Red Sox, the Yankees, and 
think Toronto are all tied three ways right now for the two wild card spots in the American League. So um, interesting. And what's wild is those three teams are all in the same um, division. Mm-hmm. So just absolutely nuts. And, you know, then you've got Tampa Bay in first place for them. But pretty much everyone but Baltimore in the American League East is looking looking like they got a shot right now. But anyway, enough sports for the week. I'll give my actual score prediction at the end. Um, let's give us give a shout out to our, our, our friends over at DAT, Ben. Then we'll get yeah. to the episode here. Take the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT Load Board Network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners. Plus, you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Take a look at the show notes for a free month of DAT Express, Power, and Trucker's Edge. Absolutely. And we don't have a promo for it just yet, but I'm always I'm going to always recommend a lot of the DAT products outside just those load boards. So um, Rate View is a really good tool to forecast, uh, not really forecast, but to look at historical rates and be able to try get an idea of where things are trending. So I guess that is forecasting. It's really good if you're trying to figure out some spot rates. Um, same thing with their uh, onboarding tool and their carrier monitoring. So. Um, check them out. You can go to DAT.com. And obviously, you know, you know, D, we did our Freight Broker Basics course in conjunction with DAT. So we highlight a lot of our a lot of their products in the course. And you can go right to DAT's website um, to their broker training section under the brokers tool, and you'll see our um, our course listed there. So or check out the show notes. You get a link for it there. Good stuff. All right. Freight brokering, what to do when things go wrong. So there's a ton of things that can go wrong in the freight brokering world. So we can't hit on every single one of them, obviously, today, Ben. But um, I I wanted to take this time on today's episode for us to share some firsthand stories of things that we've experienced in our careers and maybe what we did well and maybe also some oops situations that we've learned from. Because I think that's one of the biggest takeaways in any situation like this is, did you walk away from it? learning something and being able to apply that down the road. Because if you didn't, you, f- you failed yourself and you did yourself a disservice. Um, so I guess we could, it doesn't matter in no particular order, we'll, we'll kind of get into some things that go wrong, but um, you got anything top of mind, any, any load issues that you've ran into? Yeah, we were talking about this, you and I, obviously, because we were kind of outlining what we wanted to do for the topic and what we we're going to do in this week's show. And one of the other things that I really like when I listen to other shows and other podcasts are the anecdotes, the stories that really give you a window on what it's like to really do that job, what they're doing, what they're running into. And I think that's going to be a really good addition to this. And this happened actually last week. And it reminded me of a lot of the things that had gone wrong, the emotions you go through and not all of the time do they work out the way you would want them to, even yeah. at the end of the day. But the ultimate result in regards to where you are at with your customer, your business, and your book of business isn't always the same thing as the way the emotions play out, right? Now, for instance, the issue that um, kind of happened to a client last week, they were moving drayage. But the reality is, is why the problem occurred doesn't matter as much as kind of how it was worked through, right? And in drayage, If you do not pull the containers out of the terminal, this happened in Chicago. If you don't get the containers out by the last free day, they start incurring storage. And if anybody's been reading the news as it relates to, you know, the logistics and the supply chain, huge congestions at the terminals where you actually pull them out of the railroads, tons of congestion at the ports. And I know uh, Dooner posted last week. I think there's a record number of now vessels that are moored off the coast of California, like 55 and a half or 55. The, the pictures are just insane. If you get some of those like drone or aerial photos that just show them all mm-hmm. out there. Um, what are they calling? They're moored out there. Yeah. M-O-O-R, I think is yeah. the term. But, I would have mm-hmm. just called them anchored, but I guess that's the that's the correct um, vessel term to use is mooring. Um, 
Yeah. So regardless, huge congestion, right? All the way back up, because I know there's congestion even in the Shanghai ports and in China, right? Um, and everybody knows it's driving up the cost. But what that means for the truck driver, what happened with uh, um, one of the brokers we coach and I work with was if you don't get them out in time, in this case, it was CSX, the railroad charges you for the container to sit there and it's $200 a day. So it's not a small number. And a local move for any Drayman is usually, you know, 350 to 400 bucks. So when you are literally paying almost half the cost of the move for it not being pulled out in that day, like that's a big issue and it's yeah. disrupting a lot. Now, the, what actually was going down was the container was not able to be located. So they sent a driver in, CSX couldn't locate it, sent a second driver in later that day. CSX prints a ticket out. They say where it's supposed to be. Drivers driving around still can't locate it. They're sending emails to now CSX, the steamship line, everybody involved. No, it's here. No, it's here. No, wait, we'll get back. Second driver had to go take a different container. Third driver sent in to get the same container. Same thing. That's Thursday. Now it's Friday, another $200 in, in storage. And uh, Friday morning, they'd said, Actually, he, the carrier located the container and the way drayage moves is who's responsible to pay that storage is based on whose fault it is. Yep. So, for instance, if you can't get a receiver to give you the ability to take the load, but you've got the truck, then that bill literally goes on the customer or the receiver if it's the same person because it's their fault. They can't receive it by the last free day. Now, if they can't get a trucker to move it, that fee usually falls on the steamship line. Now, at the end of the day, the person making all the money and where everybody has, everybody's up in arms about the rail yards is CSX and BNSF and all of the rail yards are making a fortune because there's not enough trucks to get them out. And they are just racking up fees on everyone that's sitting there every single day. Now, back to the story. So, Fourth driver, Friday morning, they find the container, they send the email, and then the steamship line says, wait, don't pull it and don't pay to clear the storage because you literally can't get it out until you clear it. So what they do is they say, wave the driver off and say, we're going to fight with CSX to get them to pay it. All day back and forth. At the end of the day, the last email, and I saw it because I was helping this broker work through it, you see the whole trail of all these things happening. And then just a summary from the steamship line and the broker over to CSX that just states everything I did. This is our fourth driver in two days. We have sent pictures of the driver standing next to the parking spots that he was supposed to. There is no container there. Like everything's been verified. Going back to why we say CYA and full truckload and other things, right? Pictures, photograph, it's worth a thousand words. It's indisputable at this point. It's nobody's fault, but them not locating the container. And still... At five o'clock, 5.30, CSX sends an email and says, we will not clear storage, pay it, do what you need to do, then dispute us. Now at 5.30 on Friday, there's nobody left to go get this, right? So our client runs into the issue Saturday morning and he's got a decision to make because he can't reach his customer, can't reach the steamship line. And he's got to decide, do I pay the $600 and hope to get reimbursed? Or do I wait until Monday where it incurs another three storage charges, another $600, right? Over the next three yep. days. And it really hit me when I was, you know, talking through him with this and, you know, he'd asked me what my thoughts were. And I said, look, here's what I would do. I would send the email to your customer, tell them what has happened, tell them that you are going to take the initiative and clear the storage and pay it out of your own pocket. And I would then go back to them and say, look, you know, I'm doing this because I do feel this is the right thing to do, whether or not CSX reimburses, whether or not the customer has an issue in the benefit of everybody. We know this needs to get out. We know the product needs to be delivered and it's not going to do any good by us arguing in another two more days. I advise them to pay it. And that, you know, there was a back and forth, you know, the, our client asked me and said, Ben, like, well, what if I can't reimburse it? Like, I basically take a huge, you know, it's taking one in the chin, right? You don't know if you can reimburse it. It's a lot of money that he was going to spend in risk. But, and I want to put this back to you. What do you think happened Monday morning when um, it all, it all kind of played out? Because he did pay the storage. He did get the container moved and he got it delivered Saturday afternoon. Well, I'm going to take a wild guess here and say that eventually the storage fees were waived, but 
I'm curious myself to hear what happened. So they still haven't been waived. The broker paid for it um, and CSX is still not involved. But what happened was the customer came back and said, look, I really appreciate this. And in this case, the, the customer is a freight forwarder and the person receiving it was their customer, right? So they got their product on Saturday. And mind you, all the congestion we're talking about, they had no idea when they were gonna get it or if they were gonna get it in the next couple of weeks, they'd already been waiting weeks to get this product. So their customer was super happy. The freight forwarder was clearly very happy that the broker took the initiative, even though they took a loss. Now, the final thing is, did the broker end up losing money or did it win out? Well, come Monday, the freight forwarder stepped up and said that they were willing to pay it. So they did pay them anyway. And they said they would go back to dispute it. But the more important part was, it's really the psychology of reciprocity. When you do something for somebody else, we feel inclined and we want to do things for people that do stuff for us. And so not only did they end up not having to pay the storage, but they ended up getting another half dozen loads from this customer because that really shows the kind of broker that they're working with. And to me, like, it even gives me chills on my arm when I say it again, because I'm like, that's the thing that like, you don't know, it seems horrible, but once you get to the other end, you're taking the risk, but like, that's where they can. And in my case, and in my experience do pay off. So I've got a similar, I want to talk about claims here in a second. And and, because claims obviously will happen uh, at some point or another. Stuff's going to go wrong. (laughs) But what I, what I think is worth driving the point home on with your story is documentation and communication cannot, you can't speak highly enough about how important it is to do all of that. So documenting everything along the way to make sure that everyone's butts are covered and then just communicating, right? If, If you have no information versus you just have bad information, you're going to feel at least more at ease that you have the bad information. If there's uncertainty, most people would be, most people would choose um, having the knowledge of bad information instead of the unknown of we yes. we don't have any information. So that's that's a big takeaway. Now I want to talk claims. Similar situation happened at our brokerage um, earlier this year. And going through the claims process, there were spoiled goods, there was the temperature, you know, there was complaints that the doors were open when they weren't supposed to be, but then the the um, driver stating that the receiving dock told them to open their doors and that's what caused the product to get too warm and to spoil. And then it will only a certain certain uh, rows of it were spoiled and the rest of it was fine. There's all kinds of stuff. A USDA inspection was not um, ordered on time. Um, So at the end of the day, the carrier's insurance rejected the claim and it just comes down to, well, who's going to eat the bill on this? Well, can we go back a second for the context of this? Do you, do you know, like kind of what happened or like even the basics of it's, it's it's frozen berries getting delivered and the, Oh, temperature controlled berries were getting delivered, right? I think it was frozen and they got to the receiver and um, fast forward to the claim. The claim was that a portion of the shipment had spoiled because the temperature got too warm and the product did not remain frozen. And what should happen with the FDA inspection? Because I'm sure a lot of listeners aren't really Well, the FDA inspection would be ordered by the receiver and they'd be able to Mm -hmm. determine what product was actually spoiled, what they what their um, investigation would determine then is what what caused it. And then that would help an insurance company determine who's at fault and then who would pay out. So if they determined that um, the driver, you know, let's say ran out of gas in the reefer unit or the driver didn't set the reefer unit to the right temperature early enough, or the driver didn't pull up to the, to the right dock or the driver, but they'll determine driver error or they could say, oh, the, the dock personnel, are the ones at fault because they told the driver to open his uh, door and then didn't unload fast enough and put it in mm-hmm. cold storage. I mean, they're going to find out what it was when they do that inspection. Um, a lot of times those will happen same day, depending on where you're located. Because I thought you, so. I don't yeah. personally move a lot of produce, but you know, a lot of people we work with, I know have, yeah. and like, that's usually like when they see that something is spoiled, the, the carrier usually takes the load directly to a USDA location, right? Or do they send somebody there? Um, usually they'll send somebody there to, to do it. Um, now, here's the problem is that because so much time had gone by between when the load arrived and when finally we're trying to dispute it, you couldn't tell who was at fault. There's no way to you know, There's, there's no just been so long that there's no way to tell who was at fault. So at the end of the day, the question was, well, what do we do? Who's going to eat the cost of, there was ended up being like 
$10,000 worth of spoiled product, right? Mm -hmm. The rest was fine, but there was like, you know, I think it was like a, you know, like a, a sixth or an eighth of the trailer. You couldn't use the product anymore. Yeah. Um, so it was like, okay, well, you know, do we went through a whole legal process where like, we're like, technically we know that we cannot be held liable for this based on the events that have happened, but that's not the stance that we took as a broker. We decided to work out with both the carrier and the shipper. Hey, let's find a way to, you know, all eat a little bit of this and move on. And by us doing that, the customer agreed to give us enough loads that we could then move at 0% margin to then make sure the carrier is getting business, the customer is giving us business. We're not going to make any money on it, but we'll be able to recoup the amount of money that was, um, yep. everyone can you know recoup money that was lost to an extent, right? Except for the us as a brokerage, it's not going to make any money off their shipments for the next however long it was going to be. I think it was like uh, the next 12 shipments or something or six, whatever it was. But the takeaways there are, you know, if you have a claim and it's on a perishable good, you need to make sure that if, if an inspection has not been called, you as a broker should be stepping in and recommending, hey, get that USDA inspection so we can determine what happened for insurance purposes. Because at the end of the day, we all carry insurance for certain reasons. And the broker does not carry a primary cargo policy because it is not our job in, the, in that transaction to be the ones insuring the cargo. Our job is to coordinate the shipment between the shipper and between the motor carrier. The motor carrier should have the proper insurance to cover any kind of losses on um, that are due to their fault, right? Um, and the same thing with, uh, let's say the like, let's say it was the customer or the receiver's fault altogether. At the end of the day, I mean, they're going to be the ones that are they. You know, the the carrier's insurance is not going to pay it out. The broker's not going to eat it. It would be on the customer. But then the question is, do you want to lose a customer? Because they're not going to want to work with you anymore if you're going to, you know, say, right. hey, good luck with your $12,000 in claim or whatever it was, right? And I've seen bigger ones, like $50,000 claims. And, um, you know, a broker will basically say like, I can't, you know, I'm not going to eat this because I can't eat $50,000 to this customer. And it's, you know, you get put in a hard spot there. And I've seen some of those negotiations go exactly that. I mean, I worked with somebody at a larger brokerage where there was a, a theft claim and it was on a, a load of razor blades. It was a six figure claim and the brokerage stepped up. And, and I remember being involved in it and came in and said, look, they literally handed them the six figure check, but it kind of came with a caveat and it was a handshake deal that it was like, look, like we are going to get, you know, whatever it was, 40 loads a week for the next quarter or whatever that number was, yeah. right? To be able to, because, you know, it's quid pro quo. They don't have an issue stepping it up. And that that really got me thinking of a little bit more about this. And that's the other real value of a brokerage. It's really moving money around in different avenues for your customer in some cases. Like yeah. in that one instance, like, and I know it's happened to me where like, yes, you take a hit on this issue, but your customer's like, look, I can't, I don't have enough margin in this load or I don't have enough money here, but you kind of horse trade and they're like, well, I'll give you an extra 250 on the next five loads. And then they kind of spread that risk out. Yep. That's another value add that I think a lot of brokerages provide. And we don't really talk about that very often. I agree. Um, anybody can't, well, I shouldn't say anybody because I've seen people fail at it, but just about anybody can do the basic job of a freight broker which is to give a customer options on trucks. What a lot of people don't do is go the extra mile, which makes them the good broker and which is handling the issues as they pop up. And that's one of the things that I often, I, I love when I talk to somebody about is don't tell me about all the great stuff, but tell me, you know, how are things going to be handled when X, Y, and Z happen? Cause it will happen at some point. And it's how we handle it. That's going to decide if it's a good fit to do business or not. That's the kind of stuff that I think is more important than just, Oh yeah, we're a great company to work with, yada, yada, yada. Um, but I, what I want to also take away from my story is the communication part of it. There was a very good line of communication across everybody. The shipper and receiver were responsive. The carrier was responsive. Us as the brokerage was responsive. Um, and also the time in which the information was relayed um, 
was very, very good. Now, obviously, there, the, the lack of the inspection was really bad. So who's that but, fall on, by the way? Like even in hindsight or even in, from a general standpoint, who's actually responsible for making sure the USDA inspection happens in a timely manner? Is it the receiver? Be the the receiver, yeah. Uh, because at the end of the day, it, it's in the receiver's best interest to be able to prove that they're not at fault and that the right. carrier's at fault. So, and that's the easy way to think about it, right? The carrier, the carrier is the one that has the insurance. You want them to take the hit on it because they're not going to pay for it. Their insurance policy will. So, as the receiver, it's in your best interest to, um, you know, to make sure that inspections are ordered. Um, as a broker, this is something you can do to be a value add is to make sure that you're reminding them of this along the way. Um, but communication, even if it's bad news, is really, really important to make sure. Like I, I've said it before, um, good news, I'm sorry, bad news gets worse with time, right? Um, I think you misquoted me and you said something about bad news is best, best given, given early and often or early something. Early and often. <laughs> it's, no, bad news gets worse with time. So I also want to I want to piggyback this into other common situations. Um, late pickup or late delivery, or just the truck is MIA, drivers not answering their phone. These issues happen a lot. I've got too many stories to give you one, you know, specific and run you through it beginning to end. But how you how you handle these as a freight broker when these situations happen is going to speak volumes about your character and your performance as a value-add freight broker to your shipping customer. So uh, no customer wants to be told that their shipment or a truck's going to be late, but even more so than that, they don't want to not know that something arrives three days or hasn't arrived after three days and they weren't told about it, right? So mm-hmm. the, um, the common situation is, hey, um, my, my carrier picked up the load. I can't get a hold of them. They're supposed to deliver later today or tomorrow morning. What do I do? Well, my answer there is um, you need to let your customer know exactly what it is that you know and what it is that you don't know, right? Give them the possible outcomes and kind of walk through the different scenarios with them so they don't feel like they're in the dark. If you're sharing information with them, they know that you're not hiding anything. Because if you pull the same move and you start dodging their phone calls, you don't, you're not making yourself any better or putting yourself in a better position than the carrier um, has been to you. Um, so, I mean, nine, to, I'd say like 999 times out of a thousand, the driver is going to show up at some way, shape or form. They don't just disappear. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just give, relay that information, even if it's bad and let them know what their options are. So, yeah. And, and it's, and it's providing more, right? Because the one thing that always stuck with me was when these things were happening and I mean, you can attest to this, like it's super emotional, right? Like, especially when you spend so many, just dozens, if not hundreds of hours before you acquire a customer. And then when something goes wrong and you're just like at a loss, it reminds me of like one of my, one of my first customers, um, builders transportation, obviously not longer a customer of mine. They've gotten acquired by another company, but years ago, I remembered they had um, tendered me. It was like our first few loads and their biggest issue was that trucks, flatbeds were arriving and didn't have proper PP&E and headache racks. That was one of their shippers requirements. You could not load their pipe without a headache rack. And they had said, you know, we've tried to use brokers in the past. The reason we don't want to and we stopped is because nobody seems to care enough about this. And we're tired of looking like we're negligent when trucks show up without the right equipment. Like pretty straightforward, right? You got a new customer. They tell you this is what they require. So first two trucks that arrived the first day I'm shipping with them and is literally my first real customer where they're like, we're quoting, we're going to be doing consistent loads every week. I'm super excited. What do you think the first two trucks show up without? They don't have those headache cracks, do they? Nothing. Right. And the guy's name was Rick hey, at the time. Was it yeah. at least the right kind of truck there? It was right, right type of truck. equipment. I've heard of horror stories, man. But it's no headache rack. van showing up instead of a 53 foot drive yep. van. But I remember asking, I remember calling the driver. I'm like, hey, like you guys said you had this. And the only reason I'm I'm upset is because they they won't load you. And now he knows that, right? Because he gets rejected. And he's like, well, the reason I said that was everyone says it, but nobody ever really cares. I'm like, well, okay. Like clearly this isn't one of these times, right? But I'm now terrified because like literally months of dialing, this is like my first real customer. This is the one that's going to get me to like, you know, I'm going to make a fortune. I'm a new freight broker. And I'm like at a loss. 
terrified. I'm like, I'm back to scratch. And I don't even know what to tell them because I basically sold them on my ability to make sure this doesn't happen. And the first load I'm running, I'm SOL, right? Yep. So start thinking, what is the actual problem? Well, the actual problem is the guy doesn't have the equipment. And you know, you start thinking about it a little bit more and you go, well, if I was a truck and I didn't have it and I needed to have it, how would I go get it? Right? So started Googling around, where do you buy a headache rack? How do you find these things, right? How do you get some of the other equipment? And we found there was a local shop there that was going to install it. And it wasn't really that much money. So we actually found a way to negotiate part of the guy's rate con. And we used some money. I think we used, um, uh, what's it called? Like a comm check to pay the installation fee. Yep. And I did another comm check to actually pay for a headache rack. And we had them installed in, the, in those two trucks. Nice. And yeah, the guy didn't get loaded till the end of the day. But like the long and short of it was, I thought the customers lost completely. We thought it was a dead deal and it wasn't a great situation. But when you go through those situations with a customer, like it builds trust because they're fearful, they're emotional. They don't want to look negligent to their customer that they've been working with for years. And when you come through out the other side, like that is all we're trying to do in a prospecting call. We're trying to get that across to let them know that when that does happen, we're the kind of person that's going to find a solution, yep. not throw up our hands and go, sorry, take the load yeah. back. I um, I think what a lot of people often forget about, and I use the term logistician a lot when I talk about freight brokers. Yeah, Part of being a logistician is being a problem solver and having that figure it out mentality. And if you don't have that figure it out mentality, you probably won't succeed very well or very long in this industry. I had a, one of my agents last week asking me um, about hiring because the first person she tried to hire, it didn't work out. He didn't, he, he wasn't hard working enough. He didn't have the figured out mentality. And she's like, what should I do? And I told her part of that vetting process, you, you, you know, hiring and firing is not easy. It's just part of running a business. And those are the kinds of qualities that you need to look for. And they're oftentimes they can, people can fake them in an interview, but you should know pretty quick in the first week or so if they truly have that quality or not. And I think she left the guy on uh, for like, almost two months before she's like, yeah, you can close them out. I'm not, I fired them. I got rid of them. I'm like, good. So don't wait that long. And the next one is kind of the big takeaway. But it's a really um, good point, right? Yeah. Like, and you'd said, what, what's the uh, kind of cliche that you, it's like, be long to hire fast to fire, right? Like you want to spend a lot of time or as much as you can to try yep. to understand it. But when you find it's not a good fit, the sooner, the better. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Was, don't drag it out by any means. So it, kind of, it reminded me and kind of off topic, but my wife and I were talking about this the other day. One of her friends or somebody was dating somebody and they were talking about how long they knew each other before they got married. And they had said, you know, ask me what my thoughts were. And I was like, look, like it's like anything. Somebody can be anybody they pretend to be for a certain amount of time, but yeah. over a long enough period of time, you're going to find out who they are. So whether it's dating and it's two, three dates and you find out who they are by four or five or in our world, right? You've been working with a customer and you are this outstanding freight broker until the third or fourth time something goes wrong or the third or fourth time they need to reach you in the middle of the day. And they find out that like, you aren't there. You didn't follow up. And yep. all the things that you touted don't really exist when it comes and push comes to shove. Yep, exactly. Very, very true. Um, hey, I, I, I got engaged with my wife within a year of meeting her. Um, and I had, I think I, I, someone I dated before her didn't last very long at all because I knew very quickly, not the one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so no point in dragging it up. Um, I want to go over one more issue before we hop into Q&A. And that is what to do when a truck falls off, because this is happening so commonly right now in the market with um, capacity feeling tighter than it normally is in an in a average market, if there is an average market. But then on top of that, there are some carriers out there that they are looking for a higher paying load. Um, and whether or not that's what they tell you they've done, um, it's likely what happened if they fall off a load for you. So when I say fall off a load, I mean, you sent them a rate confirmation, they've signed it, agreed to it. Um, and then they call you back and say, hey, I can't pick this up anymore. Uh, and you still have to go back to your customer and find another truck um, or give the load back. Now, here's a story that happened. I think I told you this off air, but um, earlier this week, a customer that had prepaid for a project for our brokerage Two drivers, two trucks, both fell off. And this is on a prepaid load. So you, you, if you got to hand the load back, they already paid us like $10,000 yeah. or whatever it was. Um, 
and both drivers admitted that they found higher paying loads. And it's like, that's the piece that's it's crazy like, because if we were to do that to a carrier and say, Hey, we hired a, sorry, we hired a, a cheaper, cheaper truck, carrier. You got to pay a truck order, not used or a token, yep. but we, there's, there's a no fee. recourse when more than one's paying them. Right. So it'd be like saying, um, you know, I want to go buy a laptop from Best Buy. And if I say, Hey, get it all ready for me. I'm going to pick it up in an hour. And then I come back and I'm like, Hey, I found a cheaper one over at Walmart. Right. They're not, they can't make me pay for something that I don't actually have. Right. And that's kind of the reason why we can't hold carriers liable, but it sucks when they do that. Um, whereas on the contrary, if, uh, you know, if, uh, if I had, if, you know, if let's say that you go to buy your laptop and then uh, Best Buy is like, Hey, it's, uh, you know, X amount, it's a dollar or a hundred dollars more. You'd be like, no, it's not like, you know, we agree on this price. You gave me my quote, like honor type thing. So it, it, only, it only goes one way. I don't know if that was a good way to give it an analogy or not, but it was way, because isn't the, the legal side is like the only, the only time the carriers become liable is once the, they're in possession of the freight. So like legally you can't, cause I always, I, that was the yep. most frustrating thing when I learned this industry, I'm like, so wait a minute, like I've got to pay these, but yet they can just pretty much with no recourse, just drop us yep. and go take another load. Like, yeah, it's kind so, of what it is. And here's my, my quick advice. If a driver falls off is let your customer know ASAP that, Hey, I had a truck, the driver fell off and you can just be honest. Like they took a higher paying load and I'm never going to use them again. Um, but here's the options. I can find you another truck. I'll do my my best and I'm working on it right now, but I don't have one secure. You'll know as soon as I do. Feel free and let everyone else in your network work on this load as well. Um, and if someone covers it before me, that's on me. I apologize. But just be honest with them and communicate and just give them that transparency. They'll, they will appreciate it. Now, on your side as a broker, don't use that carrier again if they're going to be falling off loads or have at least have yeah. some way if they're a larger carrier and it's just one driver, have some way to track that metric. Right. One of my favorite add-ons to the last company I worked for to their TMS was they added in a carrier metric called fall-off percentage. And it was a recommendation for one of our brokers. And every time you could search by MC, you could see how many loads did we haul, how many in the last year, last yep. 90 days, and what percentage of those loads were fall-off or what percentage of fall-offs have we had with this carrier. And that's a really good metric. If they're falling off of a quarter of their loads, they're not a good carrier to work with. If they fell off of one in the last year and they've done 100 loads, not as much of a, you know, a negative sting on them. And that's the thing I want to point out, like these it will happen where a driver gets delayed or gets stuck at their last, you know, receiver and they can't make it and they do need to cancel it. Right. It's the ones that really stick with you when they're like, they literally are, are telling you that they just absolutely just took a higher paying load. Yep. Absolutely. So. Well, hey, there's a lot more things that can go wrong with brokerage. Um, shoot us a message, uh, leave us a you know comment, or fill out the form on our website. Let us know, and we could we can talk through some more situations in the future. Um, we got three Q and A questions, but first, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Lean Solutions Group. Whether it, it, I mean, there's the big four that I always talk about, right? Staffing, sales, tech, and marketing, right? Lean can do all of it for you. We use them ourselves, right? Like I always say, we drink the Kool Aid that we preach all about. But whether it's putting bodies and seats to run your back office, or you need account executives to manage customers, or you need some uh, tech work done to build a website or marketing to help you with SEO or whatever the case might be for your brand, for your brokerage company. Lean has that solution for you, hence the name, Lean Solutions Group. So they, they use the Nearshore model. They've got three offices down in Columbia, South America, and they're able to give you top-notch staffing at a fraction of the prices you would in the United States. So check well, the them out thing, at leangroup.com. The thing I really like about Lean's model the most is that you can you can eliminate the risk of hiring and training somebody that doesn't work out, which is a huge expense. I would say you mitigate the risk, right? You offset a lot of the risk because there still is risk, right? Yeah. But I mean, it's not like you're training Lean's admin people from scratch. And that's the piece that for smaller brokerage is just so time consuming. It's you've got to leave your book of business and your customers to spend time with this person you've brought on. And that's a big opportunity cost for somebody that's actually managing a lucrative book of business. Yeah. So back to my situation before that I was talking about having that figured out mentality. These are these are folks that have been trained in logistics and have made it. They've passed the test that Lean puts them through before they're even available to be hired or chosen by you to join your team. So 
it's a, it's a really good model. So check them out. All right. First question today is how can I start a freight brokerage from outside of the United States? Um, so th- this is an interesting question and here's what we don't know. Do they want to be a U.S. freight broker or a foreign freight broker that works in a different, you know, that moves freight in a different country? Mm-hmm. Um, if you, let's say if, if it's the latter and they want to work freight from a different country, I don't have an answer for you because every country has their own rules and regulations. Now, do you want to be a freight broker that lives outside the U.S. but is working U.S. freight? You have to meet the same criteria as anyone based in the U.S.A. would have, right? That is going to be getting your authority, having your bond having all the same things in place that every other U.S. brokerage has. And we've gone through this on previous episodes. It's part of our course. It's actually, I think, uh, module two of our course is all about the steps yeah. you have to take to physically open your brokerage. Um, I will warn you that there is some tech issues you can run into with load boards. Um, I know truck stop was one of them that I've seen in the past. If you are not in the United States or in Canada, um, like I've had people that were in, for example, let's say um, Europe, and because they got their IP was flagged by truck stop security thing, and it can cause downtime until they correct it. So just think about those things ahead of time. Um, also, if you're outside the U.S., there could be some uh, prejudgment that you're not as in tune with the U.S. market and the goods that you're trying to broker the trans- transportation for as someone that's around them every single day. So keep that in mind. Uh, like for example, like, you know, if you, let's say you live in um, England and you want to be a broker in the U S the, the truck market in England is not the same as the truck market in the United States. So people might think, you know, why, you know, why would I want to work with you when I can use my broker that literally has this big carrier network already? Um, so you just have hurdles, but you still have to meet the same criteria. You can do it. And there's a lot of people to do. I've, I've worked with folks in um, Canada, Mexico, Honduras, uh, Argentina, uh, obviously Colombia, right? That's where Lean's based out of. Venezuela. Um, um, I will tell you, if you can try to get close to the right time zone that you're going to be operating in, it's going to be easier for you. I've had a, I had a team that um, I talked to that was in Australia and actually very successful brokers. Um, and they moved all U.S. freight, but they, you know, they're on like the opposite end of the world, side of the world. Mm-hmm. So it's like the time zones just messes up their day and their sleep. So that's my, uh, my advice is make sure you just follow the steps that we've already laid out. <clears throat> Next question. Does the FMCSA regulate broker margins? I kind of laughed when I saw this one because I remember the big debate, like, was it like a year ago or so? Maybe like earlier this year when they're like, brokers need to be transparent Regulated. about their margins with carriers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no, the FMCSA does not regulate margins. Um, and I want people to consider this, right? Like 10% margin versus 50% margin. Someone might say just off the top of their head, 50% is outrageous. Okay. Well, I helped someone build an LTL shipment earlier this week and it was a hundred dollar shipment, right? And they made a hundred dollar profit on it. Okay. Like that's 50%, but that is not you know, you and can pay dollars and cents. That's $100 the piece for all the work lost. they did, though, to make sure that they got the shipment taken care of and they're able to update the customer along the way with track and trace. Um, they're going to make less money on that load than if they made 10% on a load that's paying $7,000 because that's a $700 profit. So, yeah, there's no mar- there's no regulation on it. Um, we've, uh, we've talked about the averages, right? They tend to hover somewhere around 15, 16, 17% all across the board. And that is just a, across to everything. LTL, full truckload, uh, man, all, all lengths of shipments and all that stuff. So well, yeah, especially, and then when you get into some other things, I mean, like, obviously it's a percentage, so it's a function of the other number, but like lower mileages are going to have much higher percentages. The longer yeah, runs are going to have dollar much lower, lower dollar amounts, right? And then the longer ones have higher dollar amounts, but lower percentages. So like the percentage, I just don't feel like you can boilerplate that into the industry in like all of the brokerages that I've worked with and have experience with that even try like the cost plus models, like it just doesn't 
work well for yeah. that very reason. Because like if you end up with a customer that is all local, then all of a sudden your brokers only want to work with customers that ship longer miles. So you don't service the shorter miles because there's not enough money in it to cover your overhead in some ways. Like yep. you're, you're making, like you're, you pointed out, I mean, some of these, like you're doing hours of work for what you're going to do it for like $15. If it's a, you know, $150 shipment or $250 shipment, like, you gotta, I mean, there's dude, there's LTL shipments that are 50 bucks to ship. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what it is. Right. right. If you got like a super small little box that's going to go, uh, it's going to move freight instead of parcel. You know, you might be paying 70 bucks and 10% margin there is $7. That's $7. Not gonna you wouldn't your pick up the phone. Yeah. You wouldn't pick up the phone to answer that, to do that, yeah. but it's servicing your customer and it's part of the mix, right? Yeah. It's. Yep. Exactly. So the takeaway is don't abuse it, but make sure you should be making an honest wage. You shouldn't be short selling yourself, but you also shouldn't be gouging either. Uh, all right. <clears throat> the last question, how do I make a rate con for bag rates on onions? I'm going to peel the layers back here. No, pun no bad but, joke. Um, the same, this kind of goes with potatoes as well. They're very often um, a customer will very often pay a per bag rate. So let's say you've got 50 pound bags of potatoes or onions and um, depending on the lane, right? How far it's going, they're going to pay you a different rate per 50 pound bag. But let's just make, we'll use some even numbers, right? Let's say that your customer is paying $5 per bag to have them shipped, right? And you know that a truck can scale 42,000 pounds with those potatoes or onions um, and stay legal, right? So you know that at most you'll have $5 times however many bags it takes to fill up 42,000 pounds. Um, now, I'm not a huge fan of bag rates. If you can avoid them, try to avoid them. But if you're going to go down that route, I've worked with folks that have and have been successful with it. You need to make sure that your carrier is paid also per bag and just your market. So let's say we went always to, match up. Yeah. Yeah. Always match up. So let's say it's one side with the other. Let's say it's $5 a bag your customer's paying you and you've got a truck doing it for $450 a bag. Okay. It's a 10% margin. All right. Your rate con should state, you know, the full rate, and then it should be broken down saying that rate is comprised of $4.50 per bag times X number of bags. And then you also have, have to have a note in there that states you must load to 42,000 pounds in order to receive this full rate. If you do not, you will receive a prorated amount. And a lot of carriers, they know this, they've hauled this stuff before. Yes. Um, but if it's not, the verbiage is not in the rate confirmation, they can try and get you and they can win and you can lose money on it. And I've seen it happen before. Um, just make sure you're comparing apples to apples, oranges to oranges, onions to onions, potatoes to potatoes. Right. Uh, because if you, and think about this, you're uh, I've had people that, their carrier invoiced them for maybe they only loaded 41,500. They got invoiced for the 41,500, but then they sent the wrong invoice to their customer for the full 42,000. Then the customer short pays it. And the accounting team's like, what's going on here? I thought we were supposed mm -hmm. to, you know, they short paid however much money it was, right? Yep. You know, whether it's 25 bucks or 200 bucks, um, it's going to, someone somewhere is going to catch it and it adds just time and headaches. You don't want that. So. That's my take on it. If you can just try to get away from that and go flat rates, boom, awesome. But hey, people out there that are still doing bag rates. So yeah, you ever do more... anything bag rate like that, Ben? You're no, I've done hundred weights on I yeah, hundred weights on potatoes. Exact same concept. The biggest thing is just matching from my point of view, like what you're doing with the carrier with your shipper and being able to verify both, right? So if it's a hundred weight, bag weight, whatever it is, do it on both sides. Make sure your rate con has specific customer information for that customer is what Nate was referring to, right? Not general rate con information, but if you have a potato shipper that ships that way, you want language in your TMS that just works for that customer. that yep. protects you from exactly what Nate pointed out because the carrier will do that. They're like, yeah, I'm going to, yeah, no, stop it there. I can't scale anymore. And then they take it, the rate con, they've already looked at it. They know it doesn't include that. And yep. they just made an extra thousand dollars. So whenever, like in those examples, if it was, if it was loaded less, okay. Um, you need to be adjusting your numbers as soon as you can verify that and send a revised rate con that shows the correct loaded amount in there. Yep. Um, so 
That's my take on it. Good episode. Our first video version episode. So if you're watching us on YouTube, hey, you're uh, you're part of the premiere. So we'll see if folks like seeing the live or not the live, the video stuff here, and we can keep putting it up. Um, but yeah, um, we got to do predictions on the Bills game this week, or I do. Yeah, I'm going to say, I think what's a line? Three and a half point favor in Miami over under. I think it's 47 and a half. I'm going to go. I'm still going to give the Bills to cover the spread because I normally do. I'm going to go 24 17 Buffalo in Miami, win by a touchdown. 24-17. Yeah. I was way off on Pittsburgh, so. Everybody was. <laughs> maybe I'll, maybe I'll make a comeback here. Literally everybody was. And even as a Pittsburgh fan, I listen to Pittsburgh radio all the time, and most of, like, the Steeler nation didn't really expect them to pull Dude, that one off. I had an Army buddy of mine shoot me a text the other day and was like, hey, man, hope the family's good. Uh, and him and I used to, we used to go play blackjack at the casino. So like whenever he has a big win, he'll, uh, he'll like send me his betting slip. And he's like, he's like, I, he's like, I won, he won like $1,800 by betting on Pittsburgh to win the game. And I think he forgot that I'm a huge bills fan when he first sent it. And I was like, yeah. sweet man, but my bills lost. I was like, that's <laughs> cool. But like, uh, it's like kicking yeah. me while I'm down, putting salt in the wound, but good stuff. Good stuff. So Great, man. any, any exciting episodes we got coming up, anything fun, we got to get DAT on here to do a market update. We, we should get, reach out to Ken Adamo and get him back on here. Yeah. And we'll um, be doing a webinar for them. I believe in October. Yes. So. Yes. The title is um, still a working title, but it has something to do with five no sweat ways to, uh, you know, close more customers. It's going to be all about prospecting and uh, the sales cycle for freight brokers. So look forward yeah, to that you- one. Yep. So if you haven't signed up for our newsletter, go to freight360.net, click in there, throw in your email. You can get our weekly newsletter that Nate and I have been putting out. It includes the updated podcast, our weekly blog, um, usually a YouTube video or two. We're going to be doing some more video content on there to just really just put more free stuff out there, more resources for you guys. So anything you want to cover, please shoot it over. We'll either put a video together, we can cover it in our next podcast. And our group coaching program is really picking up steam, been going very well um, and getting a lot of good feedback from it. So yeah, twice a month, first and third Tuesday at three o'clock Eastern time. If you buy our course, you get a free month to test it out. And um, yeah, we've had a lot of, we had a super awesome discussion on it last week. So I'm really, really excited to pick it back up. Looking forward to it, man. Final thoughts, Mr. Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that we referenced on this episode. Visit us on the web at www.freight360.net. And if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency, contact me directly. And if you'd like to learn more about me coming out to run a free complimentary sales training for your team, Check me out on LinkedIn or again at www.freight360.net.